we went to the car right after that. I broke down. Yeah. I mean, I cried like a baby. And I cried for a long time. And my wife was holding me and my crew was there. And it was really, really difficult. Um, I, I, it meant that much to me. And that race means so much to me. Finishing races means so much to me. And I wasn't able to do that. And that was very, very hard and very challenging. But after that, Western States gives and Western States takes. Hey guys, I'm Nate Jukes, father of five, actuary by day and trail runner before the sun comes up. Welcome to the Headlamp Hour, where we explore the stories of individuals mastering the delicate dance between work, family, and the exhilarating sport of trail running. Hey guys, in this, the first episode of the Headlamp Hour podcast, we talk with none other than the amazing Hayden Hawks, my former college teammate, current training partner, and good friend. We delve into his whirlwind of a year, from his difficult but formative DNF at Western States last June, to his knee surgery and recovery, to his move to Boulder, Colorado, and why he ultimately decided to move back to Cedar City, Utah. We also dive into Hayden's insights on some recent headlines, including his thoughts on the latest buzz around UTMB. It's an episode packed with resilience, recovery, and the raw realities of this father of two and professional trail runner. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview with Hayden Hawks. All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining us today. Welcome, Hayden. Glad yeah. to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. Uh, we're just here in Cedar City at my home. It's snowing outside, so... <laughs> it's like a blizzard driving over. I guess we got to look forward to that in the morning, right? When we're training tomorrow morning, we're going to have a lot of fresh new snow on the trails, but yeah. it's just what it is. It might be a ski goggles day. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, so... Um, just a, a first question that I wanted to ask you just to open things up and and get your thoughts on. So um, I want you to answer it how you used to answer it then when you were a kid and how you would answer it now. So the question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? So how did you answer it when you were a little kid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've thought about that a lot like over, I guess, the past eight years of being a professional athlete or professional runner and to be honest when I was a little kid I always wanted to be a professional athlete um that was kind of my main goal in life ever since I can remember um I grew up playing baseball so baseball was the sport when I was younger and I really wanted to be a professional baseball player mm -hmm. you know I I was a huge Boston Red Sox fan I remember like Nomar Garcia Pera and Pedro Martinez and yeah. all these you got the hat on right now yeah <laughs> always sporting the red or repping the Red Sox. So no, but yeah, it's uh, like, I think when I was younger, it was like, that was the dream of becoming a professional baseball player. And of course that didn't work. You know, I, I wasn't, I guess, fit for that profession. Um, but when I had the opportunity to become pro as a runner, it was like my childhood dream coming true. Mm -hmm. Cause that's what I always wanted to be. Like I did a lot of other jobs I had a lot of interests in college, you know, with my degree and whatnot. But it was always kind of like that was always the the backup plan was the degree or the backup plan was always the the jobs that I was, you know, doing when I was younger. The original, you know, plan that I had, the the thing that I wanted to do was be a professional athlete. 
Okay, awesome. So I guess, so you kind of already answered it, but you would answer that almost the same way nowadays. I want to be a professional athlete, but instead of in a baseball context, it's in a pro, pro trail runner context. Yeah, yeah, and I, I never thought I'd be a pro trail runner, to be honest with you. In college, it was track and field and cross country, you know, and I wanted to be a professional road runner. Like, I had, you know, ambitions and dreams of running in the Olympic trials and the marathon and competing in the Olympics. But yeah, now as a professional runner, I am really, really excited, uh, really happy, I guess, that my journey went this way because I love being a professional trail runner. It's a dream come true to me and it's everything I ever could have hoped for. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. So, um, I'd like to dive a little bit into your background specifically, I guess, um, how you got into trail running. So for the listeners who don't know, uh, me and you, um, Hayden were teammates in college at Southern Utah university. And I remember on runs, you would be like talking about how after college you would want to do trails. Like I want to hit the trails after college. Um, and at the time, my perception of like trail or ultra runners were, you know, for those who were too slow to run on roads, you know, too slow for the marathon and stuff like that. Um, and on top of that, I personally had no desire to run like longer than a marathon. Um, it just didn't appeal to me, um, then, um, it does now, but this is about you. Um, I guess I want to ask, like, did you ever feel that way? Or at what point, um, did you feel like you wanted to hit the trails? Cause I know you, you were talking about it already in college. Did it come earlier than that or what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in St. George, Utah. Uh, we had trails accessible out the front door growing up. Uh, we would do something in high school. I went to Snow Canyon High School in St. George and we would have like Trail Tuesday or Trail Thursday. I don't remember the exact day, but it, I knew it was like the TT, right? The Trail Tuesday, <laughs> the Trail Thursday. Yeah. And our coach would like take us out to the trails and we'd run trails as a team. And I always really loved those days. Um, I also grew up doing a lot of hunting, backpacking, camping, fishing. You know, me and my dad would do these big treks in the Uintas and in, in the high Uintas up in northern Utah. We'd go to the Boulder Mountains and do these fly fishing trips. And I just really loved being in the mountains. I really loved being on the trails. Uh, of course, my, I guess my talents and my abilities were on the track and in cross country. And I wanted to get a scholarship and get school paid for mm -hmm. with that. But I think that that love kind of started there as a kid. And then in college, the first, I'd say the first three or four years of college, I was really focused on trying to become a professional track and field runner and professional road runner. And then I remember like there was this turning point. I went back to St. George before my senior year and I was working at the St. George Running Center for the summer, trying to make some money before I went back to school. And I had a friend come in who started talking about this race in California that started in near Lake Tahoe and finished at Auburn. And it was the Western States 100. And I could see the passion that he had for it, the passion in his eyes, the passion as he talked about it. Um, he had, I think, went out and crewed somebody in it. And then the owner of the store who actually grew up in that area started talking about how he, as a kid, uh, his dad would take him to the aid stations and they would like volunteer at the Western States 100. 
And I started kind of looking into it during that summer and I started kind of gravitating more towards trail running events. I started looking at these these films on YouTube about like Transvolcania and Tarawara and all these like these ultra marathons around the world. And I think that's really what piqued my interest again. Like I think that love was in there. It was ingrained in me as a kid. But then when I saw like, oh, I can run and I can be in the mountains. I can be outdoors. I can be doing this amazing like thing. I I really just kind of gravitated towards that. And that's probably, you know, when I started talking to you and we were running together is like, I kind of had this like, I don't know, I, I started thinking like maybe I could become a professional trail runner. Maybe it's not just for slow people. <laughs> and it's not, you know, we talked about this yesterday. It's a completely different sport. And it takes completely different skills and uh, strengths. And I think that a lot of my strengths and skills that I had in college and in high school were actually suited more for the trails than they were for the track and the and the roads. That's interesting. So you, yeah, you had somebody who kind of almost led the way and inspired you, was talking about it. and And then you also saw in yourself like, some potential and some and some love and some passion that you um i guess kind of already had seen in yourself in high school during those those one day a week when you when you would run the trails yeah for sure and i'd say also it was the community it wasn't just one person it was the community you know and that was the awesome thing about it. it's always been about the community the community has helped me so much you know to get into trails first, but, but when I got into trails, they helped me develop into the athlete I am today. And if it wasn't for this amazing community, um, this trail running community, not just locally, but internationally, you know, it's an international community. Um, I wouldn't be the trail runner I am today and I definitely wouldn't have a career in it. I I didn't think that I would be able to get paid in this. <laughs> there was no way in, in heck that I thought like, oh yeah, I can make this a career. I thought, you know, well, maybe this can be like something I do on the side and it could be just something fun, but I'm, I'm glad it's my career. Excellent. Awesome. So the title of this um, new podcast is called The Headlamp Hour. Um, and that kind of refers to this concept that, that athletes, trail runners... Um, and even elites such as yourself have to kind of fit in training around family, around work, other obligations, um, which sometimes then entails running in the dark with a headlamp. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about family and, um, and your other things that you have going on. Um, so you're a family man, um, and uh, you're married to um, Ashley. So tell me a little bit about her and um, what she's meant to you over your, your running career. Yeah, yeah. Before I get to that, I wanted to say something about that headlamp hour thing. I think it's really okay. cool, the name of the podcast. And me and you have been running in, in the mornings, you know, here in yeah. Cedar City, in some really cold mornings <laughs> with headlamps. You know, the other day, actually, my headlamp died out on a run, and Nate actually had to uh, guide me on the trail because <laughs> I had a dead headlamp. But, like, I, when I first started my trail running career, I ran so many headlamp hours because I was working a full-time job at the St. George Running Center just trying to make it as a professional. And I remember just like getting up at like 5 a.m. every day, having to get these runs in to make it, you know, because I needed to get my training in, but I also needed to work and support my family. And luckily it got to a point where I was able to make this a career and not have to do that as much anymore. But 
running with you in the mornings has actually been really cool because it's brought me back to those those roots of when I started as a trail running that that I guess dedication and just that that love for the sport and I think that's where it really started was the the foundation of the headlamp hours that I spent you know training when I was first getting into this sport and I really look up to you for what you do you know you got a lot of kids <laughs> five kids and you have a full-time job and you wake up every single morning no matter the weather to get out there and to train and it's going to pay off just like it paid off for me it'll pay off for you and it's very inspirational and it really helps me want to be a better athlete well, well, thanks, buddy. I, I appreciate yeah. that. But. <laughs> but to get on to Ashley, yeah, to yeah, yeah. she's everything to me. I mean, she's my rock. Like, she supported me through all those headlamp hours, you know, when yeah. I first started my career. Like, she was working full-time as a teacher, and I was working full-time, kind of full-time at the St. George Running Center. And if it wasn't for her dedication to supporting our family at the beginning of my career and supporting me in my ambition and my desire to be a professional athlete I would have never made it you know she still pushes me out the door some days and kicks my butt and tells me what to do you know especially coming back from this knee surgery and this rehab she's been everything to me to help me get back to where I am today and honestly like it's she's just an amazing woman she's very strong woman I look up to her for that she's a great ultra runner herself um, and she has a lot of dreams and goals and desires and we're able to share those together and it's, it's really, really fun. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I love it. And, um, and you have two, two kids, um, uh, remind me of their ages. Uh, six, my son's six and my daughter's two. Okay. So still pretty young. Yeah. Um, but when you started, obviously you didn't have kids. So how has having kids, I guess, changed one, like just your day-to-day running and training schedule. And then two, um, kind of your overall perception of how running fits in as your career, as the way you provide for your family. Yeah. Yeah. My kids, of course, mean everything to me. Um, I really strive to be as professional as I can be as an athlete and do what I can to optimize this time in my life for my kids. You know, I want them to have a good future. I want to set them up. I want to help them. And I want them to be inspired by what I do as a professional athlete, you know, and I hope that they, they see it. You know, I know I can't always be there because there's a lot of hours spent training. I mean, it is a lot of hours every week. Um, it's a lot of sacrifice. I have to travel away from them sometimes to go to races and whatnot. And that's difficult. But I hope that they see it, you know, in the future and they remember that dad was dedicated to something, you know, and he was really striving to support them and help them. And and I hope that the lifestyle that I've kind of developed kind of wears off on them a bit, you know, and because I I think it's healthy and I think it's good to to be healthy and to have dreams and goals and desires that you're you're aiming for in life. And so, yeah, I, I hope that that helps them. Um, I try to be the best dad I can. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm trying my best. And I think that's really what matters. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually, since having kids, it's actually probably given me more motivation. At first it was a little bit of an adjustment, but I was fortunate enough that like literally right after I had my son Crosby, I had my best race of my career. 
I won CCC literally, I think, 10 days after he was born. Wow. Maybe two <laughs> weeks. It was, it was less than two weeks than after he was born. I won CCC, which is the biggest win in my career. That completely changed my life. It changed my career. I finally got a, a really good contract that I was able to s- support my family with. And so I actually became a full-time professional runner right after the birth of my son. So I guess that was convenient. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I think so. I've also heard some like maybe more with moms as well, um, like having like, quote unquote, mom guilt when they leave for a run or when they leave for whatever. And and maybe it's I don't know, maybe it's different because running you actually make money running and so you maybe feel less guilt but maybe you don't like what how do you feel um about that and do, do you ever feel like I guess guilty when you leave them and how do you deal with those emotions you and Ashley together yeah yeah I mean I try to involve them as much as possible like we've traveled the world you know as a family and a lot of athletes don't bring their families with them because it's it's expensive you know, yeah. it's definitely a cost in the family, but I've always kind of looked at it like I go win a big race and I get a, you know, some prize money from that race or I get a big bonus from that race. I take that money and I use it to bring my family with me on the next race Yeah. Um, because I want them to experience the same things I get to experience. And I think it's very healthy for the kids to go and see all these different places around the world and experience new new cultures and experiences and and so that's been really good, and I try to involve them as much as possible. But yeah, when I'm not able to do that, or like when I'm just in these big training weeks where I'm doing like, you know, 30-hour training weeks plus everything else you have to do, that doesn't include the naps. That doesn't include the the, the stretching and the physiotherapist you got to go see, the strength coach you got to go see, all those different things. I mean, it takes a lot of time. It's a full-time job plus when you're on these big training weeks. Sometimes I feel a little bit of guilt, yeah, that I'm not able to spend more time with the kids or like I'm so worn out sometimes on these big training weeks that I I don't maybe get to spend as quality of time that I would like to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just like, dude, I can't go out and do a hike because I'm just tired. I I did a 30-mile run today. Like, let's just sit down and watch a movie, you know? And maybe that's not the the best thing to do, but sometimes that's what I have to do. Um, but I do try and make like, like I, I set up what I call dates with my kids. So like I try to do once a week, I take an hour for my daughter and I take an hour for my son and we do something and we kind of rotate every other week. Like he gets to choose what we do one week. I get to choose the next week. So sometimes with him, it's watching a movie or playing on the iPad. You know, sometimes with me, it's it's going and getting a dozen donuts because I'm starving from training so much or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And But it's 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 that quality, at least an hour a week that we get to do. And I, I think it, it's it's a good thing. Kids remember that, too, so much like and even if it's not as consistent as you would like, like later in life, they'll be like, oh, yeah, dad, like always took time with us. Like we went out on those daddy daughter dates, daddy son dates and and they remember that. So I hope so. I really That's hope cool. so. Yeah. <clears throat> I can't personally attest to that yet cuz my kids are still young, but I've I've heard that. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's true. Um 
So you're also a coach. Um, you also coach a decent number of runners every month. Um, and to me, it seems like for you, your personality, coaching is just a natural extension of that. Um, you you love, it seems to me like you love motivating, inspiring others to accomplish their own big goals. Um, so how does coaching fit into your life in general? And, and uh, I guess, how has it affected your own running um, for better or for worse? Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy coaching. I don't have to coach. Um, you know, Hoka really supports me well and my other sponsors. Um, but I choose to co- coach because I really enjoy it. Like I studied exercise science and human performance in, in school. And I really just loved it. I loved learning. I loved, um, you know, doing all those things. And I got this opportunity in college to coach an athlete for like a semester. She was training for a triathlon. And I was able to coach her to the triathlon and she ended up finishing and actually improving on her time from the year before. And it was just a really cool experience. And then after college, we moved to St. George, Utah for a bit because um, Ashley got a job down there. And I coached at Desert Hills High School and I coached the high school kids there for two years. And we won a couple state championships when I was there. And it was just really cool to like have those experiences. And so like after that, um, I was like, you know, I, I think I'm gonna start my own coaching business. And so I started off very small and, and have gradually built, I still, I still keep it pretty small because I'm a full-time athlete and I need to remember that. And also I, I expect my coach to give me time and attention and lead me and guide me in the right direction. Um, and I want to do the same thing for my athletes. I want to be able to have the time to give them to what, and, cause that's what they deserve. They're paying me. And also that's real coaching. And so I, uh, I, I do love coaching. I enjoy it. And I think it's, it's good for me because I can't run all day. Um, but like when I come home, I can lay down on the couch or sit down, sit <laughs> lay down on the couch, but sit down on the couch <laughs> and, uh, pull my laptop up and do a little bit of coaching or, you know, send a voice message or text people. And I'm recovering still, but I'm also doing what I love and something that's a passion for me. Yeah, so it seems like a pretty natural fit for, I guess, your lifestyle and also your, your personality. Yeah, and it's super motivational for me. Like when I yeah. see an athlete finish their first ultra marathon or, you know, someone set a PR on a, on a race or something, it's really cool. And it motivates me and it excites me. And I have athletes from all around the world. So it's, it's really cool to connect with people like that, you know, and to see them chase their goals. And, and while I'm chasing my goals... So yeah, it fits really well and I plan on doing it for as long as I can. Um, it's kind of a, I guess maybe a backup plan for me too once my career's over and I decide to retire. Like I can coach, you know, till I die, really. Right. So. Right. Good. So um, you've already kind of alluded to some of these things, you know, these other things that you have in your life going on. Um, but from the outside still, you know, a lot of us normal just hobby joggers <laughs> look at well you're not a hobby at, jogger bro <laughs> <laughs> well we'll see we'll see about that but um uh whatever we we look at elite athletes such as yourself and we're like wow like that's really awesome like that's so cool that you're almost like your biggest passion is also the way you make money um that you get paid to run that you get you know free shoes you get paid to travel all that but um I guess my question is, um, 
what is maybe the downside of doing what you love also being the thing that you use to make money or what do people like not see um about being a professional athlete i guess yeah yeah before i get into that nate called himself a hobby jogger nate is not a hobby jogger (laughs) he's a multiple time all-american and he kicked my butt in college (laughs) and he's training really hard right now i'm gonna crush it in the trails well thanks uh, (laughs) trying to make a comeback but no no still under hobby jogger status no but yeah like like i said becoming a professional trail runner um it was always a, a a goal of mine to become a professional athlete right and I love it. I love it, but it's not easy. Like like everybody else sees it on Instagram, you know. Instagram doesn't show the true story of what actually goes on in professional runners' life. You know, we we see them traveling the world and posting these pictures all around on the mountains and doing this and doing that. And we think, "Oh, they're just out there playing in the mountains all day." It's not true. to be at the top of the sport, no. There might be athletes doing that. I don't know, and getting paid and you know, kudos to them. They're, I guess they're, uh, that, that's awesome. But like for guys like me or Jim Walmsley or Tom Evans or whoever you want to say, that's really, I guess, pushing the limits of the sport right now. We are working our butts off day in and day out to get to where we want to be. Like it's a lot of hard work. Um, it's a lot of sacrifice. Um, I'm not complaining because I love it and I actually live for those sacrifices. I live for pushing my body and and I I kind of enjoy pain and I enjoy some suffering and to be honest with you I wouldn't have it any other way but it's not easy like we're not getting paid like NBA basketball players we're not making millions of dollars like we're making a decent amount of money but it's it's nothing like I've told Ashley this all the time I said there's a lot easier ways to make money than being a professional trail runner like I was I was studying to become a doctor and I'm not saying it's easy to be a doctor. It's probably really hard to be a doctor, but physically maybe it's not as hard as uh, being a trail runner. And I mean, every job has their, their, uh, their hard things and their easy things, but like trail running is a hard career. I mean, you put your body through a lot. You're beating yourself up day in and day out. You're constantly sore. You know, there's a lot of days where you can't even walk up and down the stairs like, cause you're so sore, you know, at Western States two years ago, I lost eight out of my 10 toenails, um, and had to go through that. You know, there's, there's pain and there's suffering, but it's also so rewarding and amazing. And it's an awesome, I guess, uh, place to be in. I love it. I love it. But, um, it's not for everybody. Um, if you want to be at the top of the sport, you know, and, I think some people have to recognize that and, and, and realize that, yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy all the time. And there's going to be a lot of sacrifice. There's going to be a lot of hard work. And if you are not willing to do that, you will not be at the top of the sport. Yeah. That, I appreciate that perspective. That's, that's a really good, really good answer. Um, speaking of, and just the, just the way that you were just talking right now, you can tell that you, um, if you didn't know Hayden Hawks before, you you know now he's he's a very competitive person. Um, you like to compete. You've liked yeah. Um, <laughs> you've liked sports your whole life. You've liked participating in sports. You've liked watching sports. 
Um, I know that uh, one of your favorite all-time sports heroes was Kobe Bryant. Is, is that still true? Yeah, yeah. very true. Um, who was also known for his very competitive nature, you know, the Mamba mentality. Um, and obviously I see that a lot in you. Um, now, uh, sometimes ultra-competitive athletes can also be perceived as, like, cocky or prideful. But to you, like, what is the value in having a competitive attitude um, for sport? But also, like, what's the difference between cockiness and confidence? Oh, you have to have confidence. And, and with confidence comes a little bit of cockiness, in my opinion, because you have to believe in yourself. I mean, you have to believe in yourself so much that nobody's going to tell you otherwise. You know, and that's how I've been my entire life. When, when I was a kid, I had people tell me that's not possible or you're not good enough for that. And instead of taking that and tearing myself down and losing confidence in myself, I actually use that as motivation to become even more confident. And I use that as motivation to say, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to prove them wrong. And I think it's okay to be that way. I think in, 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 in life or in, the, in society, cockiness gets a bad attitude sometimes or a bad reputation, you know. Um, but I think it's okay to believe in yourself. It's okay to have complete confidence in yourself to where if somebody says, nah, you can't do that, you can turn to them and say, yeah, I can do that and I'm going to prove it to you. And that's how I've been my entire career. And, you know, I, I try and I guess look at all perspectives, but at the same time, I, I believe I can be the best in the world. And even though like I might've lost to Jim Walmsley, you know, in 2021 or whatever it was at Western States, you know, I plan on going back to Western States. I plan on racing Jim again and I plan on beating Jim. You know, that one loss to Jim or that one loss to Killian, whoever I've lost to in my career doesn't define me as an athlete and doesn't take away from my confidence. It actually motivates me to train harder, to find ways to beat them the next time I line up against them. And I think you got to have that if you want to be at the top of the sport and if you want to be the best in anything you do in life, not just ultra running. Um, and I think that's what Kobe had. And I really look up to that because he wasn't afraid to tell people that. Yeah, that, that's really interesting that I guess you don't draw a hard line between the two, cockiness and confidence. I think that's, that's, and yeah, I think I agree with that. Like some of the best athletes were a little cocky or are a little cocky. And, um, but because they just had extreme levels of, of confidence in themselves, so yeah, that's cool. And I think it rubs off on other people, right? You you can lift other people up while you do that. I think yeah. if you're if you're cocky and confident and you're a total jerk, that's probably not the way that you should yeah. be. So there's a line to be drawn. Yeah, I think you yeah. can be cough, cough, cocky and confident, but I think you need to look at it as a tool to bring others along with you. And I think that's what you saw with Kobe Bryant. I mean, he couldn't have won all those championships he won by himself. He had to take his teammates and make them better. And you ask all of his teammates, Michael Jordan was the same way. They said Kobe and Michael were the hardest teammates 
to play with, but they were also the best teammates to play with because they were hard on their teammates, but it was they were trying to uplift their teammates up and take their teammates with them. And it made their teammates better. And a lot of those teammates became Hall of Famers, became the best basketball players that they could be because of Kobe and Michael taking them with them. Yeah. Excellent. Love it. All right. So um, I want to turn to um, a recent Instagram post you shared um, back in mid-November um, in this year, 2023. Um, you said, uh, starting to gain some confidence again. To be honest, I lost a lot of confidence and it was really difficult after Western States and my knee surgery this summer. I went from a place of all-time fitness and being on an extreme high to an extreme low really quickly. I struggled thinking I would never get back to be able to reach that level of fitness again. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. I kept a small sliver of hope the entire time and worked my butt off to get back to this point. Hours upon hours of strength, PT, cross-training, and everything else you could think of was put in there, and, uh, and there was a lot of disappointment as well. I kept that sliver of hope though, and that sliver is starting to grow back to grow back into a tree. I am optimistic and motivated now. I know I still have a ways to go, but I know now that I will get there. It's time to get back to work. Let's do this. Um, and then you thanked your wife, coach, brother, mother-in-law, training partners, and, and others for helping you get back to that um, fitness and confidence. So um so right, let's let's talk a little bit about that and kind of what happens at what happened at Western States. That was the last race that you um, competed in. I know that it was um, kind of your A race this year for twenty twenty three, and last year in twenty twenty two you came in second to Adam Peterman, and so and you were the top returner, you know, so you were one of the favorites for sure, um, and uh, and so take us back to that day even as painful as it might have been, um, and walk us through maybe how you were feeling before the race, um, during the first part of the race, and just, just what happened there. Yeah, I'm, I'm good now. I'm good now to talk about it, but okay. it, was pretty, it was pretty rough right after. Like There was a part of me that was like, I don't think I really want to go back to Western States for a bit, you know, because I was, it was hard. I mean, I, I came into Western States with complete confidence, maybe you could say cockiness, like, I believed I could win that day. I mean, my fitness showed it. Like, I, I was running at an all-time high. I was hitting workouts at an all-time high. Like, I just felt on top of the world, and I felt like I had dialed in my nutrition. I dialed in all my heat management. I had literally, there was no stone unturned going into Western States this year. I'd done everything. I'd learned from the previous two years, and I was like, this is my year. Um, and of course it didn't go that way. I didn't even get an opportunity. I mean, I, I fell 10 miles in. I already kind of had this little knee problem going on before the race, but then when I fell 10 miles in, smashed my knee into a rock and fractured my, my, uh, tibial tuberosity, I had a spur that was growing off of my tibial tuberosity and it ended up fracturing that spur. I knew at, at that point that I, I probably wasn't going to be able to finish the race. Like I, I tried, I literally tried everything. I walked for 30 miles trying to figure out a way to get over it. And I, I could run the uphills, but I couldn't run the downhills at all. And of 
Of course, if anybody's around Western States, they know that there's a lot of downhill. If you can't run the downhills, you're not going to be able to win. And it was it was just frustrating because I come in such on a high. And if I would have like had the opportunity to even use that fitness and that knowledge and everything, and I still lost, I would have been okay. Like if I would have lost to Tom Evans or whoever and finished second or third or tenth, I would have been just fine with it. I didn't even get the opportunity to show it. I didn't even get the opportunity to use it. I mean, I literally fell 10 miles in and then walked the next 40 miles. Like it was just frustrating, right? And that's, I think, what was was hard about it for me. And, and so challenging was I didn't even get to do it. <laughs> and uh, I had like visualized it and dreamed it in my head. And I just, I knew I, I knew that it was going to be a good day, and it, it didn't happen. Yeah, that's so frustrating. I mean, <clears throat> with with any runner, any runner knows, and especially ultra runners, because you only get a handful of times per year to really prove yourself. And if it doesn't all come together on that day, then it can be, it can be really frustrating. Yeah, and I've um, had stomach issues. I've had hydration yeah. problems. I've had... I've sabotaged my own self at races. And honestly, the year I took second, I sabotaged myself with hydration problems and cooling problems. The year I took eighth and, or 11th and eighth male to, to gym, I, I sabotaged myself. My nutrition was terrible. And I had dialed those in as I had learned. Yeah. And, and, and it was like, yeah, like I'm ready to go, right? And, and it was like, yeah, like it I would have been okay with stomach issues. I would have been okay with other things like that. It was like, I fell and I broke my knee. Like, what of all things, really? And, and that was what was hard. So, I was, I was at home doing yard work, listening to the, to the live stream, and I was actually struggling with an injury myself. I was supposed to be racing that day as well. Um, not at Western States at a race much less <laughs> soon, prestigious. Soon, soon. No, but it was it was a yeah, just a local race here in Utah that I was supposed to be racing at that day. wasn't Was doing yard work, listening to the live stream, heard your name, you know, at the beginning that you're in the front pack, and then um, you know stopped hearing stopped hearing your name, and I was like, dang man, I don't you know in a live stream you only hear so much and you don't know what's going on, and so it's it's frustrating. Um, but anyways, so I, I, I think I texted you that, that night and I was like, man, he's going to be like so mad, so frustrated. Like, what do I say to him? So I tried to like, I don't know, text you some inspirational thing. Like you got it, man, you'll come back. You'll be stronger than ever. Something like, you know, uh, encouraging. Um, and, uh, I didn't expect to hear back from you, honestly, for, uh, maybe not at all, <laughs> like, but just, you know, your state of mind and I'm sure lot, you get lots of texts, but, um, but you texted me back pretty soon after. And I was very surprised at how much already your perspective had, uh, turned from maybe like bitterness and frustration to really like, this is a blessing in disguise. Um, <clears throat> because like you said, your knee issue that, um, that growth on your tibial tuberosity had been bugging you a little bit, you know, leading up to that. And now you were kind of forced to face it and, and take care of it. 
So I guess talk about that. It, was that a blessing in disguise? And, and how do you think about that now? Yeah, it was a blessing in disguise. And, and to be honest with you, Nate, you didn't, you didn't see what happened to me hours before that, before you texted me. <laughs> okay. I remember I was at Michigan Bluff and, you know, of course I, I didn't want to show it. You know, I wanted to be strong. I wanted yeah. to be, have cameras all around me, people at the aid stations. I was like, I'm, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be, you know, and I'm going to get through this. We went to the car right after that. I broke down. Yeah. I mean, I cried like a baby and I cried for a long time and my wife was holding me and my crew was there and it was really, really difficult. Um, I, I, it meant that much to me and that race means so much to me. Finishing races means so much to me and I wasn't able to do that. And that was very, very hard and very challenging. But after that, Western States gives and Western States takes. Mm -hmm. It took the race away from me. You know, I had all that. But it ended up being a blessing in disguise because I dropped out at Michigan Bluff. And I hiked all the way to Michigan Bluff. Couldn't run. I got to Michigan Bluff. There, for some reason, I felt like I needed to get to Michigan Bluff because that's where my crew was. And I wanted to at least get to them and see what happened, right? I wanted to see if there was a way we could make it work. And I wanted to, they, they had flown out, they had come. I wanted to be there for them. And so I walked to Michigan Bluff, I got to Michigan Bluff and it was, it was crazy, man, because there just so happened to be a knee doctor specialist at Michigan Bluff. He was the doctor for the Michigan Bluff aid station and he was a knee specialist. And I sat there and he came over to check and see what was going on with me. And I showed him what was going on. My knee was swollen. You know, it was pretty bad. And he was like, tell me what's going on. We broke it all down. I told him about the off and on, how I'd had these issues with my patellar tendon for the last three years. And I told him, you know, this keeps swelling up and blah, blah, blah. What's going on here? And he was able to actually pretty much tell me exactly what was going on. He's like, I guarantee there's a bone spur there. You're rubbing on your patellar tendon. It looks like you might have fractured it or something might have happened. And I, he's like, I would go home, get an x-ray, get an MRI, figure out what's going on. And he actually gave me a, a solution to all this. Because I had been searching for a solution on how to fix my knee. Well, I fell. I go to Michigan Bluff. I meet with a knee specialist <laughs> who specializes in this exact injury and I go home after all that said and done I go home I get the x-ray I get the MRI it's exactly what he tells me what he told me it was wow and the doctor was like yeah we can fix this you know we can remove the spur which will remove the fracture you should be able to be back to running by 2024 and it was like wow <laughs> this is crazy blessing in disguise yeah that that's so interesting because often with injuries um, I guess you, you were in the dark about it for a, for a while, yeah. but when it came to a head <laughs> during the race, you like broke it. <laughs> and at that, at, almost at that very moment, I guess you had to hike like 30 <laughs> miles, but it was good though. I, I, I did a lot of thinking in those 30 <laughs> miles, <laughs> but you like got an answer, like getting a diagnosis. I feel like sometimes just feels so good. Like, Oh, I'm not crazy. Like, 
my, I have a broken bone. Like, yeah. And, and after all the crying and the pity party that night, I realized like, yeah, I have an, and I have an answer now. Yeah. And maybe that's why when you texted me, I was a bit positive about it because I felt so like, yeah, I felt enlightened that I actually finally maybe had a solution to this. So light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, that's great. So you, you already kind of have posted about this a little bit, but it's late November now. So, um, how many weeks post-surgery are you? Ooh, I had the surgery July 13th. So what is that? Um, maybe five months or so. Yeah. About five months, um, post-surgery. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely improving. It's not a hundred percent yet. Yeah. Um, but I didn't expect it to be a hundred percent yet. Like I knew it would take time and I've been giving it the time it deserves. That being said, I, I am training. Um, I've been doing a lot on the bike and I have been doing everything that I can do, you know, ever since that surgery. I mean, I didn't sit there and wallow and, and throw a pity party after that surgery. I got to work. And so I started doing everything that I could at the time. And I've just gradually progressed and progressed and progressed strength training, PT, massage, anything you can think of. Um, and then I've started the last like maybe six to eight weeks. I've started incorporating a lot of bike. Some running came back in. There was a lot of hiking there right after the surgery. And I, I took advantage of what I could. And now I'm actually in very good shape, surprisingly. Like maybe the body just needed a rest and it needed this. Um, and this week, actually, I'll hit close to 100 miles this week of running. So I, good I'm almost there. I'm almost back to where I need to be. So. Well, yeah, I, I, I hope that, that the trend continues and that your knee just keeps getting better and better. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's good to hear. Um, <clears throat> so you've been through, I, I guess, quite a lot of change in the past year um, with the knee surgery. But also I want to talk a little bit about, um, so your move to Boulder, Colorado earlier this year. Um, but then back to, back to Southern Utah. So, um, at the beginning of 2023, you moved to Boulder, Colorado. So if you could just talk a little bit about why you made that move in the first place and why it made, why you, why you felt it made sense for you and your career and your family, because moving is difficult, it's expensive, um, you know, all that, but why did it make sense for you to, to do that? Yeah, yeah, we had kind of, so November of last year, 2022, we decided to put our house up for rent here in Cedar City, and we had been going off and on about this thought of what would it be like to live outside of Cedar City, you know, and maybe live in a in a hub or like a, a big running community, like a Boulder or a Flagstaff. We'd done some training camps in Flagstaff, and of course, I'd been to Boulder off and on over the years. Um, we also actually thought about moving to Europe. Um and that was going to be a, a big change, a big move. But we said, you know, maybe uh, we, after I had taken second at uh, UTMB, or sorry, at Western States uh, in 2022, we were like, we can't move to Europe yet. Like we need to stay because I need to win Western States and I not, I have unfinished business there. So we were like, Boulder. Boulder seemed like a great place. I had a lot of friends there, Matt Daniels, some other guys, John Ray and, and other guys there. And I was like, oh, this could be fun. 
But before that, we went to Australia, New Zealand for three months. And then we, of course, came home and then we moved out to Boulder. And at the, at the time, we thought it was going to be a good move. We thought, like, this is, this is the right move. But then we got there and we just felt a bit unbalanced, to be honest with you. Like, it was awesome having people to train with. And it was awesome having that, that Boulder community, which is a great community. But I just, we missed family we we missed what we had here in Cedar City. We, I mean, Cedar City is an awesome place to train. We call it a mini boulder. A lot of people do that live here. They call it a mini boulder because it's kind of what Boulder used to be back in like maybe like the seventies, a lot smaller. And but you know we sit at six thousand feet. We have mountains out the front door. We have the desert only thirty minutes away. Like you can escape in the winter. There's a lot of really good benefits to training in Cedar City. Um, and we just, we missed that. We missed our community. We missed our family. We missed our house here and our access to the mountains here. We didn't have a lot of that in Boulder. And even though like the community was great, the running was great, everything was going pretty well there. I think it's important to be balanced in whatever you do. And you don't necessarily have to live in a Boulder or flags have to be balanced. Sometimes balance could be right here in Cedar City, Utah. And this is where I started my career. I've won a lot of big races here. And I, we just felt like it was, we needed to come back. And we felt like this was the place we wanted to be. And it also opened up a lot of windows for us to do travel and different things that we really enjoy to do as well. Excellent. Yeah. I, I think obviously like a lot of factors go into the decision of where to live um, and where to train. Um, so, and you, you touched on those, you know, um, community, um, family, um, the, just the, the, you know, the, the access to trails here, obviously there's access to trails in Boulder as well, but, um, maybe not specifically like where you were living in Boulder as, as good as you have it where you're living here. Were there any other like factors or things, um, that, that, uh, made the decision, or I guess what made the decision like difficult to to leave Boulder to pass up that opportunity? Because obviously, like that's like a trail, or it's like a not even just trail running and endure endurance running, or sorry, endurance sport like capital, Mecca, yeah. capital. You know, like so. I guess yeah. Like how did you? Yeah, the, pass that up. I mean, the mountains are awesome in Boulder. The the people I was training with were awesome. That was yeah. hard to leave friends. It was hard to leave the mountains yeah. there. Um, but we're really close to our family. Yeah. We, we really are close to our family. We have two kids. You know, we wanted our kids to grow up around their grandparents and be around their cousins and different things like that. It makes it a lot easier too for training, especially if I have to leave for Ashley to have her family here to support her, right? And there's a lot of other little factors outside of the running where I felt like I couldn't be the best runner I wanted to be in Boulder because all those other things weren't taken care of. But in Cedar, even though I might not have those friends that I left in Boulder, I have my own friends here, but I also have family and I have other things that take care of all those little things that help me become a well-balanced athlete. And I think the other thing too, and this is something that we'll do in the future is I really like going out beforehand to races to prepare. 
You know, that's why we went to Australia, New Zealand, because I wanted to run Kosciuszko and Tarawara. And I went out there and I prepared and I had great results. You know, before I ran and won CCC, I was out living in Chamonix. Before I won La Varedo, I was living in, in Europe and in, in Italy. And I really enjoy that. And I really like bringing my family out to prepare properly and be as professional as I can to prepare on the course and in these areas. And we couldn't do that in Boulder because it's a pretty expensive place to live. And financially, we just couldn't make it work. And it wasn't feasible that way. So here in Cedar, it's a bit less expensive. It's cheaper and it allows us to leave our home and go live in Europe for three months or go live in New Zealand if we need to or go wherever we need to go to to really prepare properly for races um, and get as specific as we possibly can. And I always stress to my athletes and in my coaching specificity in preparing for these races and there's no other better way to get specific than to go and run on the course and to train in that environment, in that climate and where whatever else. Plus it's it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's an awesome experience for me and the family. And Cedar City allows us to do that as well. Plus all the other things I talked about before. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well well, I for one am glad you're back in Cedar City. Um it's been awesome to have you <laughs> back here. But yeah, thanks for going through that and um kind of your decision process there this is home too yeah you know it's hard to take somebody away from their home yeah yeah that's how we felt moving back here um as well for sure um all right so your knee's feeling a little better um not quite 100 percent. and um so earlier in the year you had planned to go to thailand to do the utmb World Series event there, um, which is scheduled to go off the first part of December here. Um, for, I guess just uh, just want to know if what first intrigued you about that race? What Why did you want to do that? And then um, I think I know the answer, but why did you ultimately end up pulling out of that race? And what was the decision? I mean, it's there? Thailand, man. Who doesn't <laughs> want to go to Thailand, right? Thailand's an amazing destination. It's a place I've always wanted to go. Yeah. I love Thai food. I love the people. Um, it's UTMB race, which the UTMB races are the most competitive races in the world. And they're the races that I want to run and I want to be at. Um, I was planning on doing that, but I, I ended up talking with my physiotherapist and my strength coach and my actual, my run coach. And we just decided it wasn't the right time yet with my knee. I needed to give it a little bit more time. It's it's almost at 100%, but it's not quite there. And with travel, with the, the technicality of the race and everything else of the race, I just felt like it wasn't the right time. And, and I just felt a little bit of uneasiness. Every time I look at flights or thought about going out to Thailand, I just felt uneasiness. And I got to a point where I was like, you know, it's, I need to be patient. Plus, I want to have a really big year in 2024. I have some big races planned for 2024. And I just wanted to make sure that I was ready for that. And so I, I decided to forego Thailand. I was bummed. I really wanted to do it. Um, but it was 100% for my health. And I had to pay attention to that. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, you got to pay attention to those feelings um, when you have them. And I think there's also wisdom in, you know, having kind of a council of people around you to, to talk about and make that decision. 
and, and, I, and I, I was fit. I mean, I, I honestly think I could have went out and potentially won the race, to be honest with you. I'm very fit right now, but I also have to be smart with my knee and I have to be smart with my build, right? And it was just, that's why we made that decision. Yeah. Excellent. So this is a good segue, I think, into um, some recent events around um, in the trail running world, UTMB in particular, has has taken some heat, um, you know, around the the Whistler race, Gary Robbins's um, race that uh, his race was canceled, UTMB, um, it seemed like, you know, from the media swooped in and made their own race there on the same course there in Vail. Um, and um, so I guess I just wanted to ask you um, a couple of questions about that. Obviously, you know, um, we only know what we know from different sources and we don't know everything about both sides of the story and everything. But, um, you know, there's been, you know, people on social media saying boycott UTMB and like, let's not do these races, um, you know, trying to stick up for the little man and, and things like that. Um, but I also like, you know, have seen professional athletes, not only yourself, but post, you know, like, this is my livelihood. I've got to, you know, think about decisions of how I, how I make money and I've got to be at the biggest races in the world where there's the most people watching, um, so that I can, you know, provide for my family. So how do you, I guess, as a professional athlete, one, I guess, kind of perceive, um, that the whole, I guess, you know, Whistler situation. And then two, how do you think about, um, your own position, um, in, in competing in, you know, UTMB races? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't speak for Gary. I can't speak for Iron Man or UTMB, of course. I don't know the whole situation. Yeah. Um, so I won't go into that. But I will speak for myself and what I plan on doing and what I believe. I believe that UTMB, um, I believe that this world major thing that just came out is good for the sport. It's growing the sport. I think the UTMB World Series is really good for the sport. Can you... Hold on there. Uh, can yeah. you say what the World Trail Major is? Because yeah, it's a it's a new uh, I guess series that came out recently that uh, has a lot of really high like big races um, around the world like Ultra Trail Cape Town, Black Canyon's a part of it, Madeira Ultra Trail, Ultra Trail Mount Fuji. There's a lot of like big races that aren't part of the UTMB World Series, but they all kind of form their own little series. And I don't know 100% about it as well, so I can't speak to, you know, them. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a big series. Yeah, let me just insert something about that that, I, you know, just I've seen from their website is their their approach is, from, from my perspective, is they're trying to keep it, like, local grassroots effort, like, but also under the same umbrella, like, but also keep the the uniqueness of of the individual races there, the race directors still you know, call the shots, um, but also coming together to create this kind of cool, um, world trail, trail major event. And it seems like, like it was almost like a response to what happened to UTMB is how like quickly they made the announcement after the, the whole Whistler situation unfolded. But 
Yeah, I'm not sure if it was a response or not. I, I really know. don't I think know. It, it sounded like but... it was mostly coincidental, the, the timing of all that. But Yeah, I, um, I, I would say that we see this in every sport. You know, there's competition, right? And competition's not bad. Like, look, this look at triathlon, for instance. Triathlon, you have Ironman, you know, the Ironman events, and they have their own series. And then you have the PTO. And the P- PTO is another series that's put on by another organization. And they're both very high quality events, um, but they kind of compete against each other with elites and other people that are signing up for the races. But it's good for the sport because it helps the sport grow. You know, they're competing kind of with each other to, to improve their series, which is only good for the athletes, especially the professional side of the athletes and everything else in the sport. So it's not a bad thing to have competition. It's not a bad thing to, to have all this. And I would say that UTMB took that first step to create this series, right? I've been competing in UTMB since I started. I mean, I won CCC in 2017. You know, I started ultra running in 2016. Like UTMB and UTMB World Series races is all that I've wanted to compete in because I want to be at the races that are the most competitive. You know, I want to be at races that are in different amazing places around the world. Well, the UTMB World Series offers that to me, right? Um, it gives me that opportunity to compete against the world's best. You ask any athlete in the world, what event is the most competitive ultra marathon in the world? Hands down, UTMB. You ask any athlete, what event do they want to be at every year? You know, they'll tell you UTMB. And they'll all tell you that there is something very special about UTMB. It's the biggest stage. You are treated... You feel, I guess you feel and you're treated like kings and queens there. I mean, you, you actually feel like your sport matters. You feel like this is like an awesome just event and opportunity, the community around it, the hype around it. It's just so cool. It's an amazing event. And I think it's awesome that UTMB decided, hey, we want to share this with the world and we want to give this opportunity. And they're, it's new. They're still working out kinks. And people got to realize that. It's not going to be perfect, right? How do you expect a series, especially this big of a series, to be perfect right off the bat in two years? No. There's going to be little things they're going to have to deal with here and there. And there's going to be, be little things that they're going to have to overcome. And that's what they're doing. But I'll tell you this much. I had a call with one of the head people at UTMB couple weeks ago. So this was kind of in response to the whole Whistler. Yeah, they wanted to ask me about the situation with Whistler. And of course, like I didn't know everything about Whistler, so I wasn't able to speak on that. But they wanted to ask me what I what I thought about it and what um, I guess the general North American community thought about it. And I told them, I said, um, I don't know 100% about this whole, ser- whole, whole situation, but thank you for calling me. Because I, dire- I could see that they were, they were concerned about the situation and they wanted to see how they could improve. They wanted to see what they could do to help the athletes, right? 
And this is UTMB calling me to talk to me about it. I just think that's cool. They could have just turned a blind eye, did their thing, moved on, did what they wanted to do. But no, they, they wanted to actually come to the athletes and, and talk to the athletes about it. And I respected that so much. I also told them that I, I support what they're doing for the sport because it is great for elite athletes what they're doing for the sport. You know, it's bringing more money into the sport. It's bringing more opportunities. And I know a lot of people will say that's bad for the sport, right? But as a professional athlete, it's, it's good for the professional side of the sport. And I do think there's room. There's room for grassroots events. There's room for UTMB World Series. There's room for the majors. Um, there's room for all this. You don't have to compete in those if you don't want to. But me as a professional athlete, I'm going to compete in those because those give me great opportunities to expand my career, to be professional, and to be treated and taken care of like a professional athlete should be. If you want to compete in grassroots events, go right ahead. That's completely fine and that's awesome. And I love grassroots events as well. I think there's room for both. And I don't know why we always have to argue about these things and try and tear each other down. UTMB's trying their best and they're doing a great job and I think they're doing a good job. But I also think the grassroots people are trying to do their best. You know, what's wrong with both people trying to do their best, right? Yeah, I think like what you said earlier, it it kind of is really good for the sport in that, you know, they're they're competing against each other for, you know, the best um, talent to mm. come to their races. But at the same time, they also draw different audiences in different pools. So they, they both really play a role in in the sport as a whole, I think. Um, I guess I just to ask you, though, so obviously you're focused on, you know, the most competitive races that you can be at. So where you can prove yourself, where you can push yourself to your limits, um, where you can be where other athletes like yourself and are going to push you to your limits. Um, but if I can kind of just, um, I guess, ask this question, like, is there an appeal to you to, you know, maybe try a different race, like every once in a while, you know, like, where the focus isn't so much like UTMB in Western States? Um, Like, how much, how much, I guess, pressure do you feel to go to those races, and then it takes away from your opportunity to go do a, uh, you know, ultra tail ultra trail Cape town or something like that. Like what, what's your thought on that? Like generally since the beginning of my career, there's been two races that I want to win UTMB and Western States. That's I have tunnel vision with those two races. Those are the races I want to win. I have not won those races yet. I will continue to go back to those races each and every year and compete at those races because those are the biggest, most competitive races in the world. And those are the races that got me into this sport. Those are the races that I want to win. They're both part of the UTMB World Series. So I will continue to compete in the UTMB World Series because those are my focus. Um, And honestly, like, yes, I, I think there's room for other races, but I, are, I am completely focused on UTMB, CCC, OCC, and Western States. And those, that's what I, I set my whole schedule around, are those races. So yes, I will do other races that I seem that, that, that will 
prepare me properly for those two races. But that is what I focus on. And so for me, I guess that's, uh, that's my answer to that is like, I don't want necessarily get distracted doing other things because I want to focus and podium and win at those two events. I think that's interesting because I feel like some people get into trail running and maybe I'd argue like the majority of those who get into trail running is that like sense of uniqueness or just adventure like out in the mountains which you definitely have yeah Um, but from what from what you're saying and tell me if I'm wrong you're almost like I care more about like competing than I do about necessarily like going out and having a cool adventure or I mean you can obviously like UTMB is adventurous western states and stuff but like do you see a conflict with those two things or not so much? No, not on my side of things. I mean, maybe for somebody that's not a professional that doesn't get paid to do, I completely understand. They're right? like, I'm going to go do a more unique yeah. race or like something what I think is cooler than... I mean, Western States and UTV are pretty dang cool. It's hard to argue that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, at the same time, yeah, like I'm a professional and I have to act like a professional and I have to be focused. You know, if, if I want to win those races, I have to be focused on those races. And, but I do do other races that prepare me, right? And like, there's a lot of races around the world. Um, you know, last year I did Kosciuszko and I did Tarawara and I did Canyons, which are all part of the UTMB World Series um, for two reasons. One, all those three races were very similar type of races to what I would encounter at Western States. And so they were all thought out to prepare me for Western States, right? So that's why I put that schedule together. Two, I want to compete at UTMB, CCC, stuff like that. So I was trying to get my qualifications going to those races so I could, you know, be qualified and and get into UTMB, CCC, whatever it is that I want to run. And also those are the most competitive. I mean, Canyons is a North American major. Like Tarawar has always been a super competitive race. It's in New Zealand. But like... I've ran Black Canyon in the past. I've ran Tarawara last year. Like, so I do go and explore and see these places, but as long as they fall in line with preparing me properly for Western States and, and UTMB, I'm not just going to go do a race just to do a race. I want it to all fit into the puzzle because I'm a professional athlete and that's how I have to be. Um, I want to take advantage of these years that I have to be a professional athlete. That being said, I will probably do some of these destination races or these other races that I haven't been able to do during, you know, my career now as a pro, maybe later on, you know, when I'm not a pro. Um, And I still love, I I love going to Western States. I love UTMB. I love the nature. And if, if, you know, if that's what's drawing people to it, those races and the environments of those races draw me to them as well. So it's it's not just the competition. Competition's a big part of it. Um, but it's also the beauty of those races as well. Like in the in the future I have a desire to run Wasatch one hundred, you know, here in Utah. Because I'm a Utahan and I'm from Utah. I'm proud of it. And I've always wanted to uh, run Wasatch one hundred. But there's a time and a place for all this, right? And now's not the time and the place to do stuff like that, for me at least. Gotcha. 
Excellent. So what is next on the calendar? So you've talked about, I mean, obviously you've talked about Western States and UTMB. Which one are you going for this next year in 2024? <laughs> well, I'll run both in essence, not UTMB, <laughs> the hundred mile. Um, yeah, I'm going to uh, run Black Canyon in February is my next race. Um, and that is so I can get a golden ticket into Western States, right? I have to get back into Western States now because I dropped out last year. So I have to get a ticket. Um, and then the plan is to run canyons again, uh, probably the 50 K the North American major in April. Um, and then I will be going back to Western States. That'll be my focus again for 2024. Got to go back, you know, after what happened to me last year, like I said, I was a little, I uh, was thinking I wasn't going to do it. And then once I kind of let things settle a bit, I was like, that's my race. That's my goal. That's the one I want to really target and go after next year. Um, and then I will double back with CCC. Um, go back to that race. I love that race. It fits really well with that Western States double. And so I will focus on those two races being my two main goals next year, Western States and CCC. And with Black Canyon and Canyons preparing me for those races in the in the summer. Excellent. <clears throat> awesome, man. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Um, before we get to, you know, the final question as we wind down here, where can people find you? Um, Instagram, uh, I'm guessing, and um, you have a website as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hawksrunning.com is my website. Um <clears throat> You can find me on Instagram. That's probably where I'm most active is on Instagram, um, Hawks underscore Hayden. And then, of course, uh, I'm on Facebook and all those other things. But, TikTok? Uh, not TikTok. I don't do TikTok. No, I'm not a TikToker. Um, but like Strava is actually probably my favorite one. Yeah. If you want to follow my training and hopefully I can inspire you, like Strava is where I post everything. And I love Strava. Strava's by far my favorite social media um, outlet or, or thing. Yeah, that's the coolest. So. All right, so last question of the podcast. Again, tying it back to the theme of the headlamp hour, you know, getting your training in where you can, balancing work, life, family, other things. Um, who or what is your headlamp and how has that person or thing helped you? navigate sometimes dark and technical trails in life how would you answer that question hmm it's a good one um yeah i mean i have to say my wife ashley i mean she's my headlamp i mean she is so bright just her <laughs> countenance and her her love and her passion and just her her attitude about things i mean it's she is so calm and easygoing, but also super motivated at the same time. And she's such a light in my life. Like she has helped me through every dark moment I've had in my career. Um, and she's just the one that I always lean on. And honestly, like I love her to death. I have so much fun with her. She's my best friend. And yeah, she's definitely my, my light, I would say. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Hayden. Appreciate it. Um, wish you best of luck in your 2024 season, um, Black Canyon, uh, to start it off in February. Looking forward to that. And um, Merry Christmas. Yeah, thanks, too. Thanks, man. Okay, we'll see you later. <laughs>